Let's ask God's blessings. Lord, we thank you so much for the hope that we have in the gospel and the resurrection and in our Savior. We're singing about him as our shepherd. We thank you for him. Thank you for the privilege that is ours to worship him and come and sing of his praise and his honor. One day we'll have the privilege of doing that face to face. Yes. Glory. We are reminded over and over again that he is worthy and he is good. And you have been so good to us. Thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. And as we think about these few thoughts from the word about our Savior and the hope that we have in the resurrection, I pray that you would honor and glorify this time, that you would, in spite of the limitations of the speaker, in spite of the possible distractions in our minds and in our plans and whatever, that you would speak to us, that your word would be clear, and that the hope and the fruit and the effect and the power and result of the resurrection would bear fruit in our midst and everywhere. So we commit ourselves in this time to you to that end. I pray in Jesus' name, thanksgiving. Amen. Well, unlike Christmas, which has one or two verses, there are a lot of verses that deal with the resurrection in the scripture. And uh, it's a good topic. I think it's a topic that is definitely worth our study. I was thinking of uh, a lot of times, I've watched Fox News a lot, and they'll go on the streets in New York and ask questions about contemporary events and things like this. A lot of times they ask questions about the scriptures, about the Bible, about Jesus and Paul and the apostles. And it's very embarrassing in a way to see how little people really know about the scriptures and things like that. And they'll ask questions like who, what were the epistles, and they'll think that the epistles were the wives of the apostles. <laughs> or they'll, somebody asks them about Sodom and Gomorrah, and they think Sodom and Gomorrah were a couple that were married. And uh, it's a sad, sad commentary. We, sometimes we, we can fail to understand those things too. I, when I was studying in, for this, I remember that there was an account that one preacher gave about slaves that had been emancipated, but they didn't know it. And for uh, quite a while after the emancipation of the slaves, there were a number that still worked as slaves on farms and things because they didn't know of what had taken place to liberate them. Uh, that, that just made me think of the importance that we know about the gospel and we know who God is and we know what he's done for us, uh, and that we come together to celebrate the resurrection. And why do we do that? What advantages do we gain from the resurrection? What blessings, what benefits are ours because of it? Uh, we don't want to be like those slaves and miss what God is doing. He's so good. He's so good to us. Uh, enjoying the fellowship this morning. I appreciate the preparation that has gone into the music and the celebration. We are just really, really blessed. And so um, we think of the Easter, we think of it, actually we celebrate it every week because it's the first day of the week is the day that we think of as the Resurrection Sunday. Acts 23, 6 is kind of the verse that got me started on this. 
where Paul is standing before the Jewish council. And uh, it says that he was perceiving that one part of the council he's in front of him were Sadducees, the other part were Pharisees. And Paul began crying out to the council and saying, Brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of Pharisee, and I'm on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. <clears throat> now, the question is, what is the hope of the resurrection? You have a book and you can see the outline in there that we're going to be following. What is the hope of the resurrection? Then I want to give you five things that seem to stand out to me in Scripture as to providing something of the hope that is realized because of the resurrection. And the first one has to do with Christ himself, his deity, that uh, the resurrection is that reality that separates him and sets him apart. Paul said in his first, uh, in Romans, in the first few verses, he introduces himself. Paul, uh, this is Romans 1 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, that's his official title, um, set apart uh, for the gospel of God. That's kind of his vocation. And uh, he, it's the gospel which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is God, the working of God in Paul's life, promising beforehand. And it's the gospel that's concerning his son who was born of a descendant. Look at this now. This is important. He's born of a descendant of David according to the flesh who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection. The word declared there, you could translate, uh, designate. It's a word that actually can speak of, if you look out of the picture and you see the horizon, that horizon line is that idea of being declared. It separates one thing from the other, separates the sky and the heavens and the earth and the plants and things. And that's what he's saying here is that the resurrection separated Jesus Christ as the Son of God and set him apart so that he can be easily distinguished from all the rest of the things that might be important or might matter, he is termed the Son of God. Uh, he is declared the Son of God. The Son of God is a term that the Jews over and over again recognized was a term of deity. When he stood, Jesus stood on his trial uh, before Caiaphas when they were trying to convict, condemn him and they questioned him. And finally, uh, the high priest put Jesus under oath and said, tell us whether you be the son of God. And he said, I am, and you'll see me coming in my glory. And so then they use that because he is claiming to be God. They use that as uh, sufficient evidence to condemn our Lord because he said he is the son of God. He is the son of God. Amen. Not just a question. Amen. We know that because he demonstrated here at the resurrection that uh, he is the son of God. And if you remember in John 11, Pete's been studying through these verses, and we're up to John 11 some time ago, which was the chapter that Lazarus was raised from the dead. Remember that? And uh, the question um, Martha had asked, was talking, she said to him, Lord, if you, I believe that you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. That's her way of saying, confirming of his person, that he is the Son of God. He's God. Jews wanted to stone Jesus because he said he is the Son of God. They committed, they thought that was a, and they considered that to be a, a, a statement of blasphemous because they didn't consider him to be God and yet he was claiming to be God. 
in John 19, the Jews answered and said that uh, when uh, he was questioned, uh, we have a law, and by that law, he ought to, ought to die. Why? Because he made himself out to be the Son of God. So the point is, he was declared the Son of God. He was declared um, to be God through the resurrection. And the resurrection confirms that. We're going to look a little bit deeper in that uh, in, in a moment. But uh, one of the verses that I thought was a very interesting verse, there are several verses that kind of stand out in this. But one of them was uh, in Psalm 2. And if you remember, Psalm 2 makes the statement that uh, he is the one that this day you, we have begotten, you have been gotten of God which is a way of saying that he is, he is a deity and uh, he, is, he is God. God has confirmed his deity by being begotten. And Paul confirms that in the book of Acts where he talks about that. So uh, the scriptures talk about Jesus as being the son of God, which was acknowledged and proven by his resurrection. The resurrection confirms it. And uh, one of the quotes I'm gonna give you, it's a little, it's a reading but I thought it was very interesting, and I honestly don't remember who it, who it was that said that, but let me read it to you. It says, it talks about the facts, it says the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Without it, the believer has no hope in this life or, or for the life to come. The apostle Paul wrote, quote, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, you're still in your sins. Our belief in this great teachings is not based upon some religious feeling or upon an unfounded idea about what may have happened in the past, nor are we talking about an isolated rumor, but about a historical fact with solid evidence to support it. He goes on to say, in the early part of this century, a group of lawyers met in England to discuss the biblical accounts of Jesus' resurrection. They wanted to see if there was sufficient information that was available to make a case that would hold up in an English court of law to defend his resurrection, his person. And when this, their study was completed, they published the results of their investigation. They concluded that Christ's resurrection was one of the most well-established facts in history. In his book, uh, countdown, which is the author is G.B. Hardy. He has given some thought-provoking questions about the resurrection. There are two of them that seem to stand out. One of them is, has anyone ever cheated death and proved it? And the second question is, is that reality available to me? And then he concludes after some other stuff he gets at the bottom. He says, I think the record stands for itself. People go to the tomb of Confucius and they might worship the man, but the tomb is occupied. They go to the tomb of Buddha and it's also occupied. They go to the tomb of Muhammad or other leaders and they're occupied. If you go to the tomb of Jesus, it is empty. And that resurrection is offered to us in Christ. That's a good thing. So the first thing that the resurrection does is it gives us, kind of helps us to see the hope, if you will, in Christ uh, of the resurrection. One more thing that I want to mention and that is that the resurrection sort of completes the work of Christ so it is not just left out in the open. Uh, that it's an important 
reality. For example, in Revelation 1.18, it talks about, um, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. This is the way Revelation closes. The one that's the first and the last is, last is Jesus. He said, I was dead. I was crucified. But I'm alive. I'm alive forever. Forevermore. And so here's the hope to confirm that Jesus is alive. He is God. He is the one that we worship. He is the one that has come to pay for our sins. And <coughs> he lives, we can live also. That's a good thought. The second hope that we get from the resurrection, among many, is that it, it uh, confirms the truthfulness of the scripture. Uh, and one of the verses I mentioned earlier, but I didn't turn to it, you can turn to it yourself now, is Acts chapter 13. Verses 33 through 35. And in that section of scripture, Paul is standing before the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia, and he is quoting three verses of scripture that talk about the resurrection. He says this uh, Paul he says that God has fulfilled his promise, that promise would be in the scriptures to our children, his promises to our children that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. And we talked about the second psalm, so let me just read that verse to you. Here Paul is confirming that in the second psalm, where it says, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee, Paul is saying that that is speaking of the resurrection. So it's a fulfillment. The resurrection of Jesus is a fulfillment in part of some of the Old Testament passages like Psalm chapter 2. Paul goes on in the next verse, Acts 13, 34, he says, and as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. And then he quotes from Isaiah 55, 3. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. In other words, the resurrection uh, has all these promises and blessings that are promised to David, but they're available through the resurrection. David uh, will live again. But Christ is the one that he's promising here to be resurrected. He confirms that in the next verse, Psalm 1610. We said, therefore, also, he says in another psalm, I will not allow thy holy one to undergo decay. The holy one is not David, because David's in the grave running away. The holy one is Jesus. So the scriptures talk, the Old Testament scriptures talk and promise uh, about the, the resurrection of our Lord, and they, they make that statement clear. One of the verses that has come to mind is if you remember uh, on the day um, after the crucifixion there were two disciples that were on the way to the little town of Emmaus. It's recorded in Luke 24. These disciples were not part of the eleven. They were other disciples of Jesus. One of them was named Cleopas. And the two disciples had been discussing as you would expect, the most significant, uh, it seemed like the tragedy at first, this man Jesus, you know, they was hoping that he would save Israel and become the redeemer and, and deliver them from the oppression, Roman oppression, and yet now he's been crucified. It's now the third day since they killed him. They were discussing that. Jesus comes walking with them. You know the story. Uh, and in the process, he says this, he says he opened their minds to understand scriptures because that's where the promises are and he said to them it is written that Christ should suffer 
and rise again from the dead the third day. It is written. And he went on to stress that so that, and so that they would understand that this was part of God's plan. It's not something that has happened uh, as, as the Lord would say, well, the first plan didn't work. Let me pull out another plan B. No, this is God's plan from the beginning. That's right. And it's working just according to how he wanted it to work. And these disciples later, as Jesus, as they stopped and Jesus was eating with them and breaking bread, he was revealed to them and then he vanished and their hearts were warmed and they got up and, and said, let's go back to Jerusalem where we came from. And he found the 11 back there and they were telling them what had happened. But it's very encouraging that Jesus pointed to the scriptures as a fulfillment, his resurrection as a fulfillment of that. That's also what Isaiah 53, if you remember in Isaiah 53, it talks about uh, the suffering servant, the suffering savior. And it said in verse 10, that the Lord was, free, was pleased to crush him, that is the Messiah, and to put him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see the offspring, he will see his offspring, and he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That verse requires his resurrection in order to be fulfilled. And so the scriptures are filled with that, 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 that the resurrection um, confirms the not only the deity of Christ, but also the truthfulness of Scripture. Another one, it confirms our justification. Back in Romans, Romans chapter 4, uh, he says, uh, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was near is delivered up, he was delivered up for our sins, for our transgressions, and he was raised again because of our justification. Think, think about it. Uh, sin kills. If you sin, you will die. Jesus bore our sin. He wasn't made sin, but he bore our sin in his own body on the tree, on the cross. And when he bore our sin, he paid for it. He died. That's the result of the sin. But the fact that he was able to rise from the dead proves that that sacrifice was sufficient to pay for our sin. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to be resurrected. And so it's a, it's a picture. He was delivered up because of our transgression and raised because of our justification. So the resurrection, the empty tomb, the stone rolled away, wasn't rolled away to let Christ out. It was rolled away to let us in to see that it's empty so that there will be that encouragement, that confirmation, that uh, proof that our sin has been sufficiently paid for, the debt is sufficiently paid, and now he is alive, and he is alive forevermore. In Romans 8, uh, it goes on to describe part of his work as he is living now. It says, he who, was con who has condemned us, who can condemn us, Christ is he who died. This is Romans 8, 34. Christ is the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, so who was raised from the dead, and who is now at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. I uh, work at Lowe's, and a lot of times I, people go through, I talk to them, as you can imagine, I talk a lot. And uh, I talk and ask them what, where they're from, or ask them uh, if they're having a good day, or if they're going to be, what's going on with their life and stuff. And I just ask them questions, and a lot of times I'll ask if there's a husband or wife, I'll ask the wife to 
he's behaving or something, just to create a conversation. But one of the things I ask is uh, what their occupation is. I frequently do what kind of work you do. And uh, sometimes I will suggest that you're a carpenter or you're a contractor or whatever. One of the questions I ask frequently, sort of frequently, well, not real frequently either, but maybe, I don't know, I don't ask the percentage of it. But I'll ask him, are you a lawyer? And most of them will say, oh, no, I'm not a lawyer. But I had one guy. And I asked him that, and he looked at me as if I had slapped his face. He said, is it that obvious? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm just answering a question and stuff. And so, so I said, stay busy. And he said, yeah, I said, we, we represent people. I stand before the court. I represent people, you know, before the judge and stuff like that. That's what a lawyer does. Lawyer is one that's, that stands up for the, for the condemned, the person that's condemned, and represents him. That's what this verse is telling us here, that Jesus, he intercedes for us. If Satan accuses us before the throne, everything that Satan accuses us of is true. It's, true. it's not false. He didn't make up stuff. We have provided uh, ample ammunition for the safe, for Satan to accuse us before God as being guilty of sin, guilty of rebellion, and uh, being very displeasing to the Lord's will for us. We have. I've done that. I don't mean to make it sound like that. I've sat down and made a list of things that are going to please, displease God and say, well, let me practice all these things. No, but our lives, our self, self-centeredness and the things that I want to do myself have just contributed greatly to that list of things that are not pleasing to the Lord. Satan accuses of those things, but our lawyer, our advocate, stands up. He's got his hands wounded. He, was, uh, he paid the price. He is the Lamb of God, the Lamb that died on the cross in our place. So the, the, the debt has been paid. The forensic debt, he was talking about that. It's a forensic debt. It's a real debt. It's a legal debt. And it is paid. And you can't, once God pays the debt, he's holy. The debt is paid. You can't go back and ask somebody else to repay it. It's already paid. It's taken care of. And so that's a good thing. So we are, Christ died uh, and in our place. And uh, he intercedes for us. He is at the right hand of God. Uh, Hebrews says he ever lives to make intercession for us. That means he's always there to make intercession for us. Aren't you glad? Amen. Because we are continually straying away. First John says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that may, may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then the fourth thing he died, the resurrection confirms, is our Forgiveness in Acts 5, 30 and 31, Peter and the apostles were before the Jewish council, and he said, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one God exalted to his right hand as a prince. That word prince could be founder, it also could be author, author who has authority, as a prince or an author or a founder and a savior. To do what? To grant repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Sin is what separates us from God. We all have it. And it's abundant in our lives, more abundant in mine than yours probably. It's there. And so God is merciful and gracious that he paid for our sin and the resurrection not only proves of justification, but proves that it's paid for. That's a good thing. And so the resurrection is a vital link in this 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 work that he's doing. First uh, Corinthians 15 in that chapter dealing with the resurrection says for if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is not worth a hill of beans. 
It's worthless. And you are still in your sins. But he has been fixed. So it's never been paid for. That's a good part. And then one more, and then we'll be done. The hope in, that is the resurrection confirms our hope of eternal life. In John 14, uh, verses 19 through 20, which is probably one of the verses that you, you think about when you think about the resurrection and having life. So that after a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live, you shall live also. That's a promise from the Son of God who is absolutely holy, never lies. Because he lives, we can live also. In that day, you will know, have assurance that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. By the way, the preposition of those words in uh, is a little in. It means into. When he says, I am in my Father, you are in me. It's what Jesus is saying, if you, when he says, if you believe in me, that you believe into me. You are united with me in your belief in me. You put your faith in me. You trust in me. And uh, that you have my authority in that relationship. It's a, it's a, it's a good relationship. So it's a very interesting, it's a, just a quirk about the Greek language that I got from R.C. Sproul, but I thought it was very, very good. In, in me. And so here's this passage. He is the, the one that we believe in and we trust in. He is John 11, 25, again in that chapter that uh, talks about uh, Lazarus. Jesus said to, um, I think it was Martha that was talking to him about uh, if you'd have been here, Lazarus would not die. And Jesus, and he was talking about the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That's a strong statement. It's not just I provided, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me shall live. We've been talking about that even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Life is linked to him. One more verse and we'll close. That's John 20, 30. Many other signs. This is the end of the Gospel of John. So John is now, he does this in his books. He'll tell us why he's writing it. He does here near the end of John's Gospel. John just confides. He says, look, there are many signs that Jesus did. Many. There are too many. If I tried to recount them all, I, the world wouldn't be able to hold the books. I mean, everywhere he went, you're talking about suffering and people that are hurting and and uh, bleeding and all kinds of physical. I mean, that's the world we live in. It's a fallen world. Back then, they didn't have the healings that they have now and stuff. And so everybody had things that were wrong. And Jesus says, heal them right and left. And just like that, John says, if, if we would record everything, the world wouldn't be able to contain the books. Many other signs Jesus did, which are not recorded. Uh, and they were performed in the presence of the disciples. But these have been written down so that you might believe. And John selected certain signs to prove his point. These are written so that you might believe that Jesus, the word Jesus is the name of the historical person who came, was born of a virgin. It speaks of his humanity. This man, Jesus, the one in Nazareth, the one born in Bethlehem of a virgin, this man, Jesus, is the Messiah. That's what he's saying. The Messiah. The Son of God. He's God, the light of God, the Father. He's from God. And that believing, you might have life. So the question is, do you believe that? Yes. Does it go beyond the peer to your heart and your life? Have you bowed the knee before him? I encourage you to do that. When you go home and you're in your quiet, get your Bible and just read 
the gospel, read about the Lord, because the eternal life that he offered is more than just eternal life, but it's it's real. And he offers himself to pay for your sin, to deal with your guilt, which is the real thing that bothers uh, has they say that's the main thing that has people are in what these insane asylums or whatever you call them, that the main issue very frequently is unresolved guilt. I don't know if that's true, but that's what they say. I know how to get rid of guilt. Jesus did that. He did Come to him, confess your sin to him, and let him take over your life. And he'll help you with that guilt. Right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We've been this is a good day. Uh, very exciting about the things that you have done and uh, the things that you are doing in our lives and we're just very happy for that we're happy for your mercy we're happy to sing your your praise and your honor we're happy to, to know you and to be part of your plan and we thank you for that thank you for including us thank you for working in our hearts and thank you for the time that, that we were looking this morning at your resurrection and to see how you confirm your person and your work, your justification, your forgiveness of sins, and, and our eternal life and relationship with you. You've gone to such trouble on behalf of people that are worth so little. And yet, at the same time, we are worth something to you. Not because we are valuable in ourselves, but because we are part of your program. You're going to use us. You've chosen to use what is returned, we're referred to as foolish things in the world. To confound the wise. And we believe that one day uh, in your plan, your program, as your work is being exalted and magnified and things happen, that you will demonstrate how you've taken such unresponsive, unworthy, insignificant, self-centered children and put us into the plan to bring majesty and glory and greatness to your name. That's what we want. Help us to be part of that, a real part of that. I pray in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving. Amen. Mm -hmm.